0: Hello and welcome or welcome back to self work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist out of Fayetteville, Arkansas, and I've been doing therapy for over 25 years. I've remained very passionate about what I do. And I decided about two and a half years ago that I wanted to extend the walls of my practice to those who may already be interested in psychological and emotional issues and have their own therapist or have been to therapy. Maybe to those who've been recently diagnosed with anxiety or depression or an eating disorder or having some kind of relationship issue that seems formidable. And then there's that third group of people who might listen to a podcast but might never darken a therapist's door. So welcome to all of you, no matter what group you're in, or perhaps you don't fit in any of those groups. I want to start out today by thanking the people who have taken the time to leave written reviews on iTunes This May, I've gotten a handful of them, and you know, my heart kind of goes pitter-patter when I see that there's a review up, because I never know when someone really won't like the podcast, but I screw up my courage, and I go look anyway. Some people have really given me some specifics about what they like. Someone writes about the fact that they've been much more isolated, and she says, I've also utilized my resources at work to get an appointment with a therapist. Thanks so much. That's great. Someone else says she's calm and patient. I'm going to have to tell my husband that. (laughs) Explaining basic concepts about why we all wrestle with our thoughts and feelings every day, and boy, do we. I agree with that. Another listener writes, I'm impressed with the podcast and the very real action items she gives to listeners. As a man's therapist who runs a men's blog, Guy Counseling, I love sending my clients here to listen. Thank you so very much. That means so much that a therapist would also be listening and be affirming. Another listener says, I've been to several therapists over the years, and they weren't much help. And I thought maybe it was just me not willing to do the work or not being able to grasp what it takes to make change, and I quit working on anything in my life. But I started listening to Dr. Margaret, and things she said resonated with me. She gives us some fixes without therapy sessions to get us down the road. Another listener says, they're extremely informative and helpful. And the last says, I love how our podcast has so many different subjects she discusses. You know, it's interesting and I appreciate this feedback because if you talk to someone who's a business coach or a podcast coach, they'll tell you, you know, you really need to have a niche. You need to have something that you are really an expert on. But my practice has been very general. So other than Perfectly Hidden Depression, which many of you have listened to those episodes and have a book coming out on that November the 1st, but other than Perfectly Hidden Depression, I really do try to diversify these episodes because I want to try to reach as many people as I can. So thank you so very much, and I'd welcome any and all written reviews or just basic ratings. I'm very, very grateful. Today we're going to be talking about the three basic levels of change when I'm doing couples work. I love doing couples work. I like trying to help both feel understood and not blame for the problem. Most couples are pretty demoralized when they come into couples work, saying things like, I'm not sure anything will help. But I found that there are three levels of change that have to happen. Behavior change, communication change, and conceptual change. In past podcasts, I've talked about each of these separately, but we're going to talk today about all three to see if I can sort of offer a bigger picture. It's not simple by far, but it's also very doable with some focus and effort. The listener email today is from someone who had an affair, but chose not to tell his spouse, and now feels terribly guilty and ashamed because he's keeping the secret. What would you do? I'll offer my best advice. So sit back and relax. We're going to be talking about important changes that you can make in your relationship with your partner and how those very changes can give you both hope. Often, very sadly, couples wait until someone's threatening divorce or separation before they come in to do couples work. It obviously makes that work a bit harder. I often hear people say in the community, well, couples work doesn't usually work. And I always smile because there are common mistakes that people make that certainly don't enhance therapy's effectiveness, but it's not just because couples therapy quote unquote doesn't work. First, Waiting until you're at death's door before you go see a doctor isn't a great idea, right? Nor is it a great idea to wait until someone's had an affair or you just don't care anymore to get counseling. I understand how hard it can feel to open up to a therapist. I've been on both sides of the couch, so to speak. I've often said if you think individual work is hard, try a couple's work. You're already mad or hurt, and now you're supposed to open up in front of them? One of the ways I often put it is this. You're going to do this work with your current partner or you're going to do it with someone else. You can choose. And what I also say that's important is that they consider that their work is for themselves in really, really demoralized relationships. Often they don't even know if they want to save the relationship. So if you think of the work as not just saving the relationship, But by becoming the person you want to become, then you will be motivated. It's very hard in couples work not to keep your eye on the other person, but to keep it on your own change. So especially if you're really, really demoralized, you need a therapist that's going to create as much safety as possible. And that leads to a second point about why therapy can sometimes miss its target. Is the therapist actually trained in marital work? All you have to do is put out a sign saying, oh yeah, I do couples work, when you've really had no true training. I think it's usually not a good idea to go see a therapist that only one of you has seen in the past. Also, it's my opinion it's not a great idea for a therapist to see each person individually and then together, especially if trust is part of why you're there. So make sure your therapist has gotten couples training. They ought to be able to tell you how and when they got that training. And here's the third point. Does the therapist allow you to go all over the place or do they keep you focused on a structure? We talked about this a little bit earlier. What do I mean by structure? We talked about it before as reminding you that you're doing your own work. Are they providing skills, training, and listening? Is empathy described, encouraged, and practiced? Are there assignments given? Are strengths discussed? Does the therapist confront blaming and contempt? A couples therapist has to be very active in good couples work, not just sit and listen and nod. Of course, I don't think that's great in individual work either. Something I often suggest, especially in highly demoralized couples, is that a date be set and no one can mention divorce again until that date because you build a reality with your words. This kind of structure can often help a couple focus on what they really need to in the present and realize there is a date set where they'll reconvene and think, okay, how much progress did we make? That's structure. Couples therapy without structure can lead to more chaos as each partner watches the other one diligently and then overreacts when old behaviors rear their heads, which they inevitably will. So the part you're responsible for is making sure that you don't wait until it's too late to try couples' work. The second is to make sure that your therapist has been trained in couples' therapy. And does the therapist provide enough structure? All three of those things are very important. Certainly, therapy isn't always effective. Sometimes one person already has their foot out the door and doesn't have an agenda for reconciliation at all. I've gotten the feeling they're there so that their partner can establish a relationship with me. And then, of course, if you don't have two people accepting responsibility for their own part, couples therapy goes absolutely nowhere. I'm very open with couples about this. If I hear them wanting me to fix their partner so things will be better, I tell them that won't work. Sometimes people get mad at me, that's for sure. But all I can offer is to give my perspective that's built on my experience. But it's also important to figure out why someone hesitates to take responsibility. Maybe they were abused as a child and blamed for everything. Now there's a wall up. I usually ask someone who struggles with taking responsibility what they're afraid of. If they take their fair share, what would happen? And that can lead to a very interesting conversation. So a therapist doesn't give up on someone who seems to struggle to take responsibility, But you use that avenue then to explore the why. Perhaps they say, I'm afraid I'll be seen as weak or I'll lose control. And that gives you a key to what's going on. Even if you hear your partner or yourself say, you know, I really think this is my partner's fault. You want to look at the why. Because when therapy works, the changes in the relationship can be amazing. So I mentioned in the introduction that we were going to be talking about the three levels of change. Why do I think this is important? Because all three are really vital in the maintenance of change. Everybody can change for a day, even sometimes a week. But for you to maintain change, you have to feel it on lots of different levels in the relationship. So first, there's the behavioral level. I bet each of you listening knows at least one behavior you have that's annoying or irritating to your partner. My husband hates that when I get out of the shower, I don't open the door inward, but outward. Frankly, it's just a habit because it's easier to get out that way. But it does drip a little. So when I'm being more thoughtful, I'll open it inward, no big deal. This may not seem like much, but I promise you, I hear lots of fighting about these kinds of issues. In fact, I remember in my first marriage, we had a huge fight that started out with us arguing about whether... The towel that you step on after you get out of the shower should remain on the floor or be hung up. I know that seems absolutely asinine and I don't even remember which side I took. I just remember that's where we started. For example, recently I had a couple tell me that a huge fight that they had almost every day started over whether or not she was pulling into the garage the right way as he perceived it. It's just amazing what we fight about. So there are two things to consider here in behavioral change. First, what of those behaviors could you begin to change easily? Literally, if you simply put your mind to it. Especially for a demoralized couple, these are the things that can begin to happen immediately that shows their partner they actually do have the capacity to, one, change, and two, do something that shows they care about their partner. I can open the shower door inward. The husband who criticized the way his wife let off the break in the garage can decide it really doesn't matter. Sometimes when a couple comes to me and we fill the first session with history and note taking and me trying to help them set some goals, but they'll look at me and say, but you didn't tell us anything to do. And I'll say, just do differently than you've been doing. Choose a behavior that you can change easily that will show your partner that you care. The second part of this behavioral level of change isn't quite as easy, but it's extremely important, and that's to figure out what you're actually fighting about. For example, the garage fighting couple weren't fighting about how to stop the car. Their relationship issue boiled down to fear. They'd both been raised in abusive homes. They now had two children, and they both were scared silly that they weren't going to do it right, so they constantly criticized each other. When they figured that out, it was much easier to catch the criticism. Underlying issues can be fear, control, trust, loyalty, childhood stuff like actual fear of conflict. So many things. And it's important to figure out, and the therapist can be very helpful there, what that is. My husband and I used to fight about how my office bank deposit was going to be made. I insisted on doing it myself although he worked at the bank and was much better at stuff like that. He finally told me something he figured out that was underneath our fighting. He said, you're treating me like your dad treated your mom. And he was right. I was trying so hard not to be like my mom, I'd morphed into my dad, at least about money. And when I realized what was underneath that, I stopped and we stopped fighting. Okay, so now let's shift into the second level of change. The first one being behavioral. We talked about bickering in episode 104. And very early on, I think it's episode 8, I did an episode on developing really good listening skills. You might want to go back and listen to that. There's a dramatic story in there that I won't tell again, but it's worth hearing. So the second level of change is about communication. If a couple says we don't communicate, what it generally means is we don't know how to listen. And there are huge gender differences here. We assume that the other gender interprets what we say like we interpret things, but nothing could be farther than the truth. Women are generally, and again, stereotypically, but women are generally wanting to be known. Men need to be affirmed. So those are the things we seek from each other. And so often the woman gets disappointed or mad, tries to talk about it, the guy feels attacked and certainly not affirmed, then he withdraws or gets angry, which makes the woman feel lonely, and the cycle goes on and on and on. Those of you who believe that our culture creates these gender differences because we treat little boys and girls differently may bristle at this, and we do treat boys and girls differently, even in 2019. But I've seen and worked with these differences over and over. So realizing that your partner, if they are the opposite gender, doesn't hear you the way you hear them can be enlightening. Gay and lesbian couples have a different dynamic, but in my experience, it can help to talk about what you really yearn for from your partner and how you communicate that is vital. There are so many specific communication tricks that might be an episode in and of itself. For example, you don't ask why questions. Why questions make anyone feel like they're on trial. Change those to how or what questions. Ask to talk about something difficult before you launch into a topic and your partner feels attacked or surprised. That usually doesn't go well. Think about how you talk with your colleagues at work. You'd never simply walk in their office and begin talking about a heated subject. But we do that all the time in our relationships. This technique is called paying attention to metacommunication, talking about talking. It allows both people to give permission to enter dangerous territory and try to talk about something difficult, at the same time putting your best foot forward. So a therapist can help you with these specific communication techniques that can begin to diffuse the way you talk to each other. There's a wonderful book called The Four Agreements. And in it, he reminds us to be gentle with our words and to treat our partners respectfully. It's a great book, and I'll have the link in the show notes. And then there's the third level of change. So the first was behavioral. The second was changing the way you communicate with one another. And here's the third. And frankly, if this one doesn't get fixed, the couple is somewhat doomed. I focused in episode 72 on this level of change. But again, I wanted to bring all of these together today to sort of get a big picture. And what is that third level? Changing the way you think about your partner. If you say to yourself, he wouldn't be late again if he cared more about me. Or she's so involved in the kids that I know I'm not as important to her. You're making what your partner is doing and saying all about you. And you're telling yourself that they have an active agenda to not love you well. Maybe they are being self-centered. Maybe she is too overly involved with the kids. But when you personalize it, you're actually setting up a scenario where the two of you become enemies, people who have the intention to manipulate, to scorn, or to reject. The question to ask is, what do I know about my partner that will explain their behavior that has nothing to do with me? If the two of you can step back from seeing each other as the enemy and look for ways to feel more partnered, then that's a huge step forward. It's a conceptual change, this third level. A change in your thinking about the other one. This person is my partner. They put their feet on the floor every morning with the intention to love me well, not with the intention to do me harm. All three of these levels of change can lead to a greater sense of emotional intimacy, if you allow it. New behaviors give the message, you're important to me and I remember what you like. Really listening and figuring out what's underneath any fighting that's going on. Knowing whether you're affirming a male partner or giving the message that you know you understand your female partner. And the third level of change is not seeing your partner as the enemy, calculating and being manipulative or selfish on purpose. You know, if that's true, then you have a much larger problem on your hands. Please think about these levels of change and decide where you could work on your own relationship, and thus, of course, yourself. Our listener email today is from someone who had an emotional affair and a one-night stand with that person who now feels very shameful and whose depression is growing. I don't know exactly where to begin, but I had a one-night stand in the fall of 2016 My partner of 14 years and wife of two and I were going through a very rough patch. I sought attention and appreciation from someone outside my marriage. There was a brief emotional affair and a one-time sexual encounter. I regretted it immediately. I knew as soon as it was over that I wanted my wife. I didn't want anyone else. I chose not to tell my wife about the infidelity. I didn't want to hurt her. Now, months later... I'm suffering depression and anxiety and deep shame and guilt over this infidelity. I'm seeing a therapist, and I'm working on trying to forgive myself for the mistake I made. I feel sick. I often feel so ashamed and guilty that I betrayed my wife that I'm unable to think about anything else. I cannot change that I made a mistake. Do you have any advice for me on how I can accept my mistake and move forward? I do not plan on telling her. I cannot bear to hurt her the way I am hurting. So here's my answer. I'm glad you're in therapy, but sorry to hear that you're struggling to let go of shame. I cannot tell you how many people have sat on my couch and said things like, I'm now the person I used to judge. Or I've done, said, or felt something I never thought I would do. It's very hard to work through it. And since your choice is to not tell your wife, then you can't be helped by seeing or experiencing her forgiving you. And the two of you together working through this. That's how many people heal. They see their partner healing. They know that they are regaining their trust. And so it helps with their own healing. Many people make the same decision as you are. Don't get me wrong. And I understand the decision. But as you are very painfully finding out. Secrets have power. It sounds to me as if you're allowing this mistake to become all of who you are. And as if you're discounting other things about you. I don't know why that is. There could be many reasons. But it seems like you're having to readjust your own self-concept. And perhaps you can figure out what's underneath that internal battle. If your therapist isn't helping you to get to an answer, then you might consider going to someone else or asking the therapist you have to try to dig a bit deeper. This is obviously a tough situation and one in which we all think we know what we would do, but sometimes you simply don't. We're all human, and we all make mistakes. I want to thank you again for being here on Self Work today. You can email me, and that email is confidential, at askdrmargaret at com. You can also go on my website, DrMargaretRutherford.com, and subscribe, because at that point, you'll receive a weekly newsletter providing both my weekly podcast and my weekly blog post. So that's an extremely easy way of keeping in touch with me, and I promise I don't send anything else out. As I said in the beginning, i love it if you'd leave me a rating, a review, anywhere you listen. That's very, very helpful. It's the major way I have of getting the word out about self-work. I've really upped my game, so to speak, on Instagram, and I'm doing this series called What I've Learned as a Therapist. Today, I did 107, like 107 of them in a row, <laughs> but I'm having fun. It's a very contemplative time for me, actually, early in the morning, and trying to think about how a picture I've taken might suggest something I've learned in therapy. And another way to connect with me is to join my Facebook closed group at facebook.com slash groups slash self-work we almost up to 800 people, very diverse, from all over the world. I accepted today someone from Nova Scotia, and I'd love to have you there. It's facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. So thank you so much for being here. I hope this has been helpful when you think about changing things in your own relationships. Take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and you've been listening to Self Work.